You may be wondering why I'm wearing this beautiful white suit. Well, as we've been looking through the Adventures of Acts, a book in the Bible about sharing the good news of Jesus in this world, I thought I'd wear what a typical evangelist would wear at a typical evangelistic crusade. Don't I look like an amazing evangelist? Though I'm not totally sure if the evangelists in the Adventures of Acts actually looked this way. On October 21st, 1976, I was living in Michigan at the time. I was 12 years old. A famous evangelist named Billy Graham came to Michigan and preached in the Pontiac Silverdome, just north of Detroit. And my parents took my sister and myself to go hear him preach. We were in the upper decks, so Billy Graham looked pretty small from where we were at. We were so high up and so far away, but his booming voice filled the stadium. I was too small to to take a lot of it in. I don't actually remember. Uh, I was so young, I don't remember a lot of the details. But what I do remember that when he was done, he invited people forward, and I remember people surging forward to the podium as he made an invitation for people to turn to Jesus. And because I was so small and the stairs were so steep, and he just seemed so far away, I didn't move from my seat. But I was mesmerized as what seemed like a river of people just continually moved toward that podium from all over the stadium. I left there knowing that I had just seen and heard an evangelist. And so often that's what we think of when we think of evangelists. We think of the stadiums, we think of the big crowds, we think of the huge responses. Years later, Fiona and I took our kids to see a different evangelist at a stadium in Calgary, Alberta. And my daughter, Amy, she was about nine years old at the time. And that evangelist came out literally wearing a white suit, just like this. Billy Graham didn't wear white suits. Billy Graham wore the pinstripe suits. He wore the, just the classic suits. But this evangelist we saw in a stadium in Calgary came out wearing a white suit. And when he came out onto the podium, I remember my daughter Amy, who was only nine years old at the time, turned and looked up to her mom, Fiona. And with her eyes wide, she said, there he is. She was just awestruck by this man in white who'd come out as the evangelist we'd come to see. Now, it's like an evangelist in our culture or in our thinking has to be larger than life to be authentic. He has to fill stadiums in order for us to feel he's successful. But I'm not sure how we got that idea. Because in the book of Acts, it doesn't seem that way. So let's read Acts chapter 4, verses 5 22. And we're going to see a couple of evangelists there, one in particular who's quite vocal. You'll have this 
on your handout page, or if you have your Bible or a Bible on your phone, you can use that. Acts chapter 4, verse 5. On the next day, there are rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them, this is Peter and John, the two disciples of Jesus, when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? The this they're talking about is the story that David read last week. David preached on a message to do with a crippled man being healed and a crowd of people responding to Jesus after that miracle was done. By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, that's important, that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. It's really the only qualification stated here for this evangelist named Peter. Filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and the, and of the people and elders, if we are being examined today considering, concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and common men. Another translation talks about them being uh, of ordinary men or common men as it says here. Or common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus but seeing the man who was healed standing before them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they con conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no, no more to anyone in this name this name of Jesus. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must be the judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punishment because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened, for the man on whom this sign of healing was performed, was more than 40 years old. Today I want to better define what an evangelist is, based on the story I just read. And I'm going to be defining an evangelist by talking about what an evangelist is not necessarily meant to be. Rather than saying what an evangelist is, I want to talk about what an evangelist is not necessarily meant to be. For number one, an evangelist is not necessarily a super saint. When we think of an evangelist, how many of us think of someone who's exceptional and super spiritual and basically someone that we're not? So we don't feel spiritual enough to be preaching in a stadium or, or, or seeing masses of people come to the Lord when we preach. 
we might think, I'm not spiritual enough, or I don't know my Bible well enough, or I can't answer people's questions. I'll get stumped. So I'll depend on an expert instead. This is that old hired gun mentality. We can't save the town, so let's hire someone else who can save the town for us. But that mentality fails to recognize that the best starting point for evangelism is not theological training or achieving a certain level of maturity, but simply your testimony of knowing and experiencing the love of Jesus. That's what's necessary, knowing and experiencing the love of Jesus. You don't need to understand the whole Bible or even much of the Bible to be saved and then tell others. When I was in Bible college, we were given a reading assignment. And that reading assignment was called the Barefoot Evangelist. And it was about an evangelist, a man who was saved in the 19th century, so the 1800s. He was saved when somebody came to town and told the people there about Jesus. And as they told the people about Jesus, the, the man turned to Jesus, but he knew very little about Jesus. He'd only heard one message about Jesus, but it was enough for him to turn to Jesus. And after hearing about Jesus, he was so passionate about the love of Jesus that he'd heard about that he decided to go to other towns and tell other people what he knew. But he knew very little. But what he knew was enough to convince other people to turn to Jesus. And this barefoot evangelist, this man who was so poor, he didn't even have shoes on his feet, was going from village to village, telling people the little he knew, but that little that he knew was enough to bring other people to Jesus. Last week, David preached on the story of a crippled man being healed through the ministry of a follower of Jesus named Peter. And when the crowd reacted in amazement, here's what Peter said. He said, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Peter's basically saying it wasn't us. It wasn't our power. It wasn't our piety. It wasn't how godly we are that made this man walk. That man wasn't healed because of how mature Peter was. After all, these religious leaders were the ones who, who... who were considered the the mature ones in that day and age. They were considered the the most knowledgeable and the the most schooled. And they called Peter and John unschooled, ordinary men. That's what the New International Version says. Unschooled, ordinary men. That's what they thought of these men as. Now, how many of us in this room feel ordinary? I do despite the white suit. I feel very ordinary. How many of us feel we're fairly low on theological training? How many of us can relate to that? You know, most of us haven't been to school for theology and and learned a lot like these religious leaders that were talking to Peter and Paul or, or maybe like Billy Graham. But not only that, you might also be able to relate to how fearful and weak willed these two men were, Peter and John. These two men were a part of the same group of disciples 
who all ran away terrified when Jesus was arrested. They, they, they just ran away and abandoned Jesus. And then Peter was the guy who lied three times denying that he knew Jesus because he was so scared. These were just regular guys. They weren't some heroes of the faith that were so high and mighty that they could never sin. They were ordinary. Men that Jesus had found in fishing boats. And, and, and other men who he found all over the, the region of Galilee as he recruited these 12 disciples. Galilee was considered a backwater town. The people in Jerusalem looked down their noses at people from Galilee. And yet that's where Jesus went to find his disciples. Some people talk about Winnipeg as a backwater town. I don't. I've had opportunity to move to, to Toronto, where my parents used to live. I've had opportunity to, to move to the Fraser Valley, the beautiful Fraser Valley in British Columbia, where my parents have retired. And I said no both times, because I felt God call me to be in this town. God called me here, and I love it here. And Jesus comes here and recruits disciples here so that he can reach the people of Winnipeg. Amen? Amen. Amen. But after Jesus had risen from the dead, Peter and John, they weren't focused on where they were from. They weren't focused on their resumes. They were focused on Jesus. The passage Jesus spoke about last week says that Peter and John were successful because of faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. That's what the passage that David preached from last week says. And God's Spirit can give any of us, and all of us, the Holy Spirit, so that we have faith in Jesus' name to lead others to him, just like that barefoot evangelist did. That's why the evangelist doesn't have to be a super saint, super spiritual. For all who call Jesus Lord... The Spirit of God has filled us, and He wants to fill us again and again and again, repeatedly, so that we have faith that God will want to use us. The Bible actually says that He's prepared good works for us to do, even if we feel ordinary. So that means that an evangelist is just like us and doesn't necessarily wear white shoes like the one I just took off. Another image we have in our minds is that an evangelist is a high-profile, well-known individual. Well, an evangelist is not necessarily a famous, big-name speaker. Low-key unknowns like us aren't considered evangelists. Who, would, who in this room would call us ourselves an evangelist? And in fact, we talk about it in such a way that we talk about it like we're just, we're just witnessing to people when we share Christ with people, right? We're just witnessing um, to, to people who don't know Jesus. But the Bible doesn't talk that way. The Bible doesn't even talk about witnessing. He says, you'll be my witnesses. But when he talks about sharing Christ, he talks about evangelism. He talks about us being evangelists. In the adventures of Acts, God used the whole church 
to be evangelists who preached the gospel. When they spilled out of that upper room, when they spilled out of that upper room filled with the Spirit in the passage we preached on a few weeks ago, they were all proclaiming Jesus. Not just Peter and John, not just the 12 disciples, but 120 of them, every one of them. If we'd been in that upper room, we would have been proclaiming Jesus because we would have been filled with that same Spirit. And we have been filled with the Spirit. So we can do that today. When Peter and John were confronted by the religious leaders regarding how they performed this miracle of healing, Peter Peter simply shared what we might call a testimony. He said, look what the Lord has done. Peter said, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this, by him, this man is standing before you well. He's basically saying, look what Jesus did. It's a testimony. That's an uneducated fisherman talking. But the religious leaders, the religious, the religious leaders didn't just see them as unschooled ordinary men. They also recognized that they had been with Jesus. Did you catch that phrase in the passage I read? They'd been with Jesus. Their only training had been that they spent time with Jesus. Jesus was famous. They weren't. They were simply known to have been with the one who is famous. And then, when they were ordered not to talk about Jesus, Peter said, we can't help but speak of what we've seen and heard. That's what we call sharing a testimony. They couldn't help telling other people what they'd seen, what they'd heard. When Julian and Tony shared their testimony a couple weeks ago, they mentioned, and in fact, maybe this was a private conversation I also had with them, that they can't help talking to their friends. Julian said, actually said from the front here, he's talked to more people about Jesus than he ever expected he would. He's, he's starting to talk about Jesus with his friends. Tony, you have too, haven't you? And so it's like, what's going on? Tony hasn't read much of the Bible yet. He just became a Christian recently. But Tony knows Jesus, so he can tell people about Jesus. Every one of us in this room who knows Jesus has various testimonies of what Jesus has done in us and through us. And we can tell others about that. That's what we're meant to be doing. We're meant to be telling them. We'll eventually see that in Acts chapter 8, a great persecution broke out against the church, and the church was scattered, scattered all over the region. In fact, It actually says everyone was scattered except, it says except the apostles. The big guys, the famous guys, the the, the super spiritual guys. But everyone else was scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And chapter 8 verse 4 says that those who were scattered around the region shared Jesus wherever they went. Who were those people? We only have a few names associated with who they were. We don't know who most of them were. They were anonymous people. There are people that aren't, we don't have their names recorded in this book, but they mattered to God. They were just ordinary people that were scattered and were telling people about Jesus wherever they went. An evangelist doesn't have to be a big name preacher. 
Just a person who has spent time with Jesus and who loves Jesus and who wants others to find salvation in him. So that means... that we can be evangelists too. The Bible talks about evangelists being just like us. Now thirdly, an evangelist is not necessarily exclusively concerned with spiritual needs. Another image we have of evangelists is that they're only concerned about souls. Sure, physically needs are important, and evangelists will admit that physical needs matter. But evangelists leave those concerns to other people well, the evangelists concern themselves with people's eternal destinies. Involvement with physical needs is seen as merely a springboard to looking at more important spiritual needs in people's lives. But I see a different example in the life of Jesus. I don't see him behaving that way. Sharing the gospel was more than just words to Jesus. Jesus spent a great deal of time ministering to people's physical needs to whom he never actually preached a word to. Some he just healed, and he said, get up and walk. Go take yourselves to the priests and offer an offering there. In Matthew 25, Jesus laid such stress. This is the story of the sheep and the goats. If you've never heard it, it's verses 31 to 46 of chapter 25 in Matthew. Jesus lays such stress on meeting physical needs that he talks about people's salvation being dependent on it. Your salvation, depending on how much you addressed the needs of people around you. With no mention of proclaiming the gospel in that passage. The apostles in Acts followed Jesus' example by showing a great deal of concern toward physical needs. When Peter and John were confronted by these religious leaders, saying, By what power or name did you do this? That this they were talking about was a physical healing. Meeting a physical need. Peter just called it a good deed. Though we also know that Peter cared about people's spiritual salvation as well. He added, Peter added in his response to these religious leaders, that there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So he wanted people to be saved. But as people did get saved, the Christians in the early church looked after one another. They shared their resources to make sure that nobody was left in need. That's why at Gateway East we run a, a Gateway food, a weekly food bank. We call it the Gateway East Food Bank. And it runs every Monday evening, unless it's a stat holiday, then it's on a Tuesday. And every, we've been doing this for years, decades actually. And there's people in our midst who volunteer there regularly. And I'm so grateful that this is a church that cares about people's physical needs. Be on the lookout. Be on the lookout for how you can address physical needs in the people's lives around you. An evangelist isn't and shouldn't be exclusively concerned with just spiritual needs. An evangelist is someone who simply loves people enough to show them the love of God in both word and deed. Showing Jesus, not just telling people about Jesus. And I believe all, all of us that truly love Jesus, want to help people when we see a need around us. 
I just believe that to be true as I look at your faces. I know that you're people who care about meeting the needs of people that you see around you who are in need. And that means that an evangelist is just like us. Fourthly, an evangelist is not necessarily fixated on preaching to crowds. Another image in our mind is that whenever there's an evangelist, there's a crowd. We're witnessing when we talk to individuals, but evangelists speak to crowds. But who says that? Who says talking to an evangelist or to an individual is not evangelism? This whole episode started because Peter reached out to one person. He saw one person in need and he ministered to one person. Yes, sure, there was a crowd that heard the gospel after he preached, but it all started with him noticing one person. Be on the lookout for the ones this week. I really mean that. Be on the lookout for the one person this week. The one person you can share a testimony with. The one person you can share about the love of Jesus to. Be on the lookout for that person. The person you can talk to, pray with. Evangelism simply means telling or showing one person who Jesus is. We don't need to ever speak to a crowd. Jesus was an evangelist when he spoke to that one solitary Samaritan woman by a well. Peter was an evangelist when he reached out to that one crippled man by a gate. Later, we'll hear about a man named Philip who was sent to a desert region to minister to one person in that region. That was evangelism. They were evangelists. An evangelist doesn't have to address crowds and might never address a crowd. An evangelist may only speak to one friend or neighbor at a time, which I believe is something we can all do. And that means an evangelist is just like us. Fifthly, and lastly, an evangelist is not necessarily assured of a positive response. And I believe this is the thing that gets the most discouraging for people who want to do evangelism. We get discouraged when we don't get positive responses. We have this image in our mind that an evangelist is always leading people to Christ. It's understandable why we'd focus on the many people who turned to Christ in this story because Acts 4.4 says many of those who heard believed and the number who came to Christ was about 5,000. So that's kind of like the Billy Graham crusade. That's kind of like, wow, Peter's just like Billy Graham. He's not like me. I'm not like him. But remember, he was uneducated and ordinary, relying on the Holy Spirit. That's a big deal. It's a big deal that 5,000 got saved, too. But, you know, remember, it was the Pentecost Harvest Festival that was going on. There was a lot of people in town. So if there was a lot of people who did respond, there was probably a lot of people who said no as well. In fact, the story I just read you the passage about is talking about people who refused to respond. They just refused to believe in Jesus. So clearly, even Peter got negative responses. Is evangelism telling people about Jesus Or is it being sure they become Christians? Of course, we want people to be saved. That's our desire. But that's not the definition of evangelism. Evangelism is telling, not saving. The Greek word evangelist in our English Bibles 
The Greek word used for evangelist is literally a messenger of good. A messenger of good. That's literally what it means. All we are is messengers of good news. So, it has nothing to do with how the message is received. God simply calls us to tell people because we can't save people. We can only tell them as lovingly as possible. And a person can be evangelistic without necessarily seeing anyone saved. Do you understand that? You can be evangelistic even if no one ever responds to the gospel when you share about Jesus. Positive or negative responses are not the measuring stick of evangelism. Otherwise, there'd be people in the Bible whose resumes as evangelists would be very poor. Even Jesus couldn't perform miracles in his own hometown because of the lack of faith that was there. And Jesus denounced the cities in which most of his miracles were done because the people didn't repent. The people didn't repent when Jesus was preaching and doing miracles. Catch that. Think about that. He was doing mighty miracles, preaching the gospel, and he, he renounced them for not repenting, or denounced them for not repenting. Does anyone here want to say that Jesus was a lousy evangelist? I don't see any hands raised. And yet he was denouncing people for not repenting. And as we look through the adventures of Acts this year, we're going to see a follower of Jesus named Paul get flogged and jailed in Philippi and get sneered at where only a few people, it says in, in Acts 19 or 17, got saved. Like, that's something. When an evangelist like the Apostle Paul, who we'll find out soon enough, is a great hero of the faith, got such lousy responses. And that's because he wasn't defining evangelism as people getting saved as much as just being obedient about sharing Jesus with others. Evangelists in the Bible were not always getting great responses, but they kept going. They kept telling because they were convinced of how important it was that people at least have the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus so that they had opportunity to repent and they had a strong desire in their hearts that people did. An evangelist doesn't have to get big results. An evangelist is simply one who desires that people meet Jesus, is faithful to show and tell people about Jesus, and leaves the results to God. That's why they can be regular, Ordinary, everyday people who tell people about Jesus by just simply sharing their testimony. An ordinary guy. Acts 4.13. So what happens to my evangelist costume? It's gone. Well, no, I'm not going to go that far. Yeah. I'm just an ordinary guy. This thing says Acts 4.13 at the bottom. 
And Acts 4.13 in the New International Version says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. We've been with Jesus this morning. We've been with Jesus, for some of us, for a long time. And for some of us, a short time. But we've been with Jesus. God is looking for ordinary men and women. Ordinary people who've been with Jesus and who love Jesus and who want others to know him in your schools, in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, in your extended families. There's people, ones, that you can be on the lookout for. On the lookout for that one person you can share a testimony with. You don't need to be super spiritual. You don't need to be saved for that long. You don't need to be known by many people except the people immediately around you. You can share and care for people's everyday ordinary needs. You can be more comfortable talking to just one or two people rather than to a crowd. And you can be a person who prays for the people you share with in hopes that they get saved. But that's all it takes to be an Acts 4.13 ordinary evangelist. The title of this sermon is that God is looking for ordinary evangelists. He's not looking for famous people. My missions professor, when I was in Bible college, said this, and I'll never forget it. In fact, it bothered me at the time, because I was only in my early 20s, and I thought differently then than I do now, but he said this, I hope none of you ever become famous. Well, at the time, I wanted to be famous. I was just 20-something and thought that would be really cool. But now I don't care about any of that. I just want to see the people around me in my life discover Jesus. You're eligible to tell your friends and neighbors and schoolmates and workmates about Jesus. And now rather than getting into small groups and having a discussion time, I want to pray collectively And what I mean by collectively is praying for everyone all at once who wants to be one of the ordinary evangelists that God is looking for. And all I'm going to ask you to do is stand up in your seats. And I want to pray for those who stand. For those who want to be Acts 4.13 ordinary evangelists. And you've heard what that means. It just means that you want people to meet Jesus You're going to be faithful to show and tell people about Jesus and pray for them as you leave the results to God. And I believe all of you can manage that. So let me pray for an anointing on each of us. Because what Peter and John had that made them so special wasn't in and of themselves, but it was the Holy Spirit that filled them. And we will see through the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit fills people again and again and again, not just once. So here you go. I'm going to pray for a filling on you, that God would show you the ones this week and help you to be an ordinary evangelist in your life and in your world.